Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Critics say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends. stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be back home and to be with you again this morning. I've told this story here before. I'm sitting in a coffee shop up north in a community that I will not name. And... Um, <laughs> and my ears perk up because I hear my name mentioned by a group of older gentlemen who were sitting behind me at this particular restaurant. I heard them talking about me, and then I heard them talking about us, and what they intended as a slight became very quickly a badge of honor when I heard one of them say these words, that church is full of sinners. They'll take anybody. And for the record, yes, we will, because we believe that God can change anyone's life. We're in good company with that reputation because the religious people of Jesus' day had an issue with him, too, about how he interacted with, quote, unquote, sinners. He would eat, associate with, connect, and change with anyone, and it didn't matter how messy their life was. I know, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy thought, right, that God would connect with messy people like us. I put, I put the, the stumble that the Pharisees had with Jesus in your outline this way. It was a religious but welcome insinuation. Let me tell you what an insinuation is. It's the definition of something unpleasant or a hint of something bad. I mean, think about just how bad that is, that the God of the universe would actually want to connect with messy people. And it all came down to this boiling point moment when the Pharisees asked the disciples, the followers of Jesus, a question in Matthew chapter 9. He says, why does your teacher, and by saying the word teacher, they were insinuating somebody who ought to know better. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors 
and sinners. I love that Jesus actually answered that question with, with the scalpel-like precision later on in the Bible. When he said, you want to know why I hang out with messy people? I'll tell you. It's because sick people need a doctor. It's because lonely people need a friend. Because sinners need saviors. This weekend, we're going we're gonna to dive into that reality, and we're going to start by taking back some words that culture has taken from us. Now, I'm not putting anything bad on culture at all, but some of the reasons why these words have been broken down is for very real, heartbreaking reality. Some of these words have been tainted, stolen by our culture, but that doesn't mean that Jesus can't take them back, redeem them, and give us back their original meaning. I, I listed some of these broken words worth redeeming in your outline, and the reason I'm telling you these is because we're going to need all three of these words when we get to Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 1 in just a couple of moments. The first word may surprise you. It's the word father. I hear this quite often from people. They will say, Grant, I love the thought, the idea, and the truth of Jesus. In fact, I even have room for the concept of a counselor, a comforter, like the Holy Spirit. But here's what I don't want. I don't want God to be my father. And then they usually go on to share with me that their earthly father broke their heart and came up way short of what an earthly father was supposed to be. And they'll say things like this. My dad left me, beat me, shamed me, hurt me, disconnected from me, abused me, discouraged me. My father was an alcoholic, a workaholic. He was an egomaniac. My dad was nothing like a father should be. So why in the world would I want anything to do with a God who says he wants to be my father? Thank you, but no thank you. I'm not interested. I hear that regularly. The lack of a true earthly father will leave a mark on your soul. It's just a reality. Here's an interesting pack. Dr. Paul Witz from New York University, he wrote an incredible book called Faith of the Fatherless, and he documented a commonality with all of the great atheists of history. Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, Voltaire, Wells, O'Hare, they all had one thing in common. They were all abandoned by their father as a children or had no relationship with him as an adult. Isn't that interesting? And I think many people today are are asking a question. Why would I want a heavenly father when my earthly father caused me so much pain? Can I answer that question? I would answer it this way. God the Father doesn't leave, abandon, shame, disconnect, walk away from, hurt, or abuse his children ever. Ever. So that means this. If you were like me and had a great dad, God the Father is greater. If your earthly father came up way short, God the Father wants to fill in all of the holes in your soul that your dad left, and he wants to cover them with his protection and with his connection. We need to take back the word father. Second word is the word sinner. We don't like that label. (laughs) We're a little offended when God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, that the word sinner is actually an archery term. It means to simply miss the mark. And we all miss the mark, right? Nobody gets a bullseye every single time they shoot an arrow. I mean, to say that we don't have sin in common is absolutely ludicrous. That's why we all need a savior today. So I don't know if you're comfortable with it or not, but I'm just going to uncover a truth so we're all on the same, all on the same playing field, okay? Sinners are us. Okay, it's true. And what makes that even more precious is the fact that Jesus loves to transform sinners into people who are crazy enough to think that a little church in Bellingham, Washington could actually affect Catania, Sicily on the other side of the world. One more word, a tough one. It's the word touch. 
I want to be very gentle and kind with this one as I acknowledge a reality in this room. Many people in this room don't like the word touch because you were inappropriately touched at one time or another. One instance of inappropriate touch will soil this word forever. And I want you to know that you're in a safe place. I preached in another church, actually Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, some years ago. And as I was preaching, I developed a thought that Jesus actually loved kids. In fact, in one verse, he says, let the children come to me. It's a biblical statement. And this was I said, what I said in my message. I said, Jesus wanted to get close enough to the kids to touch them as human beings because human touch is not only important, it actually brings life to people. Babies that aren't touched die. That's the way that it works. A critic heard my message and later on wrote that Pastor Grant Fishbook said Jesus was a pedophile. So let me be precisely clear. The right kind of touch matters. And we all need it. We all need it. Earlier in the service, Andy gave you an opportunity to greet each other. Whether you like it or not, we shake hands around here. I know some of you don't like it. You send me notes every once in a while. I don't care. I don't care. And let me tell you why. Because I've lost track of the number of people who've come to me and said, Grant, the only time another human being actually stretches a hand out to me in my whole week is on Sunday mornings. And it matters. It may not matter to you, but it really might matter to the person sitting behind you. The right kind of touch matters. And today... In the purest way, Jesus wants to touch your heart, your soul, your memories, your mind. And you don't need to be uncomfortable with that because what I need you to know is the touch of Jesus is always pure and it makes the broken sinner part of us whole so that we can be reconciled to our heavenly Father. Do you see all three words? Okay, let's get to the word. Mark chapter one. Simple story about Jesus, the friend of sinners. Verse number 40 says this, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It starts right there. Just so you know, this was against the rules, okay? Leprosy was a contagious and often fatal skin condition. It affects the nerves of people and steals their ability to feel pain. In case you know this, pain is, uh, don't know this, pain is a gift. It protects you. Your pain sensors in your finger will warn you if you reach for a hot stove. It'll make you actually pull back and go, wow, pain is actually a positive thing. Pain can keep you from breaking your fingers when you're touching your phone because the sensors in your finger will warn you before you push your thumb right through your screen. It's important. Leprosy steals the ability to actually feel pain. The nerve endings are gone. It was a horrible disease and it came with rules, actually biblical rules. Leviticus chapter 13 says, the person with an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. The Bible continues, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must remain outside of the community, which means this particular man, as he comes to Jesus, is breaking the rule. He had a 50-foot rule built into his life the entire time he had leprosy, which means this. This man who has an encounter with Jesus, he was a leper. They were outcasts. They were shunned. They were isolated. They were alone. Religious laws prohibited them from, from coming anywhere near the clean and tidy people. Some of you are under the misperception that when God looks towards you, he sees you as unclean. 
That's a lie. That's not true. God sees you as his child. If this man played by the rules, he would have stayed away. But he breaks the rules. Here's the cool thing. Jesus isn't going to play by the rules either. Let's keep going. Verse 41. Jesus was indignant. So the man comes, kneels in front of him, breaks the rules. And verse 41 says, Jesus was indignant. Now let's stop there for a second, okay? Not going to give you a lesson on textual criticism, but some of you are going to go home. You're going to read your translation of the Bible and you're going to go, my Bible doesn't use the word indignant. My Bible uses the word compassion. How in the world does that reconcile? Like indignance, anger, and compassion don't exactly go together. Why would translators use two opposite words? They're not exactly aligned. Well, the truth is this. The original manuscripts actually contain both ideas. So let me put it this way to you. Jesus had compassion on the man, but he was angry towards the illness and the way that the man had been treated his whole life. See how both of those line up? Let's keep going. Here comes the scandal. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He touched him. And you need to know, everyone that would have been there that day would have gasped. Because the same rules that prohibited the man from coming to Jesus prohibited a rabbi from touching anything or anyone who was unclean. Everyone would have freaked out. And this is what I love. Jesus doesn't care. Because he actually does care about something even greater. He cares about the fact that this man, who had not been touched in years, suddenly had a warm hand resting on the top of his head or his shoulder. He cared about the right things. Now don't miss this because it's so important. In that moment, Jesus made himself unclean by touching a man with leprosy. You say, so what? He did exactly the same thing for me and you. Some of you are like, Grant, I don't have a skin condition. Yeah, I know, but we all have a sin condition. Every single one of us. Jesus, who knew no sin, took on our sins so we could become the children of God, pure and whole. Rabbis were not known for getting up close and personal with people with problems and issues. They would avoid them at all costs. They didn't want to risk their reputation. Now, all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, willing to pay the incredible cost of touching this man. I mean, just think about it. There's a possible contagion. There's a broken resume. There's the stigma of this communicable, communicable disease. And Jesus is like, it doesn't matter. He matters. You matter. In the eyes of the religious rule keepers, Jesus defiles himself. Listen in. Jesus says to the man's request, if you're willing, he says, I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. That's a miracle story right there. That's a miracle story right there. We need to hear more miracle stories. They're faith strengthening. They're faith building. I will tell you with conviction, I believe the God who did that miracle does the same kinds of things today. We just often don't see them. In fact, if you don't believe in God's miraculous touch, you need to meet my friend Monty. He's in my small group. Monty shared his story last Easter. He hit the ground on a racquetball court, dead as a doornail. God stepped in. Monty got a second chance at life, and now he uses every day 
is an opportunity to send a simple message that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus restores. Believe it or not, there are miracle stories all around you. In fact, this whole morning, I've been kind of scanning and my eyes have been landing on different people. Good morning, Don. How are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Don here is a miracle. In fact, I've made eye contact right now this morning with eight different people in this room who were supposed to have been dead, but apparently Jesus had a different idea. We need to hear those things all around us. Let's keep going. Verse 43. So they have this encounter. Jesus has this encounter with this guy. And right after he heals him, story takes a hard left turn. Verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Okay, I'm going to come to this in a moment, but here's what we need to know. Jesus didn't send the man to the priest to show off the miracle. If you read the text carefully, he actually sends him to go through the purification rituals because he was not only going to receive the gift of his healing, he was also going to get back the gift of his community, his family. Why do we keep beating the drum of small groups around here? It's because we believe God wants to restore community amongst his people. And the story wraps up with a twist. Jesus tells him, go to the temple, show yourself to the priest, go through the purification ritual. You're gonna get your family and your community back. And when I read this, I just kind of giggled to myself. The guy totally blows him off. (laughs) He doesn't do what Jesus tells him to do. Now, we could have a really good theological discussion about whether or not this was the sin of disobedience or whether it was a mistake or a misstep. I mean, we could have all kinds of conversations about it. But it's so interesting. Look at verse 45. Instead, so Jesus said, go to the priest. (laughs) Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So, I mean, so much for being obedient, right? God says, do this. And the guy's just like, thanks, no thanks. I'm going to go tell everybody. You told me to be quiet, put a gag order on me, but I'm not doing this. Anyway, before we judge him, how many of us came to Jesus, were healed in our soul, and even after Jesus told us how to live and what to do, we decided to go and do our own thing anyway? 27 of you, the rest of you are liars. Let me tell you why this is so important. Do you notice the switch? At the end of the story, the man ends up reunited and welcomed into the town, his family, and his community because he's healed. And Jesus ends up on the outside looking in. There's a word for that. It's love. I'll take on your disease. I'll take on your hopelessness. I'll take on your brokenness. I'll take on your isolation. I'm going to take all that on me so that you can be restored. That's love. We better close up with a summary. With one pure and powerful touch, Jesus restores so much for this man. Let me break down just a few of them. He restores the man's body. I mean, the leprosy's gone, right? New skin. New skin. The condition is healed. And the same thing can happen to us today. Not only in our skin conditions, but our sin conditions. 
Does God still heal today? Yes, absolutely. I am looking at miracle stories all around this room. In fact, um, out of this last trip, God kind of like knocked Laurel and I on the heart and said, we're going to go a different direction with a couple of things this spring. I'd like to make an invitation. I know of multiple miracle stories in this church. If you've got one that you haven't shared, I want you to come and talk to me. Just, just come and show up. Let's find out what happens when we start bragging about God's miracles. Could it be that there might be more in store? Could it be? So he restores the man's body. Secondly, Jesus restores the man's humanity. I mean, think about this. For his whole life, he's been treated as less than human. He's an outcast. How many of us know the experience of feeling like we're on the outside looking in? I mean, can you imagine experiencing that every single moment of every single day? Some of you are like, yeah, Grant, I can actually relate to that. Here's the reality for all of us to feel isolated no matter to what degree. Jesus took your sin so you could be welcomed into his family. He took his perfect, his perfect humanity and his perfect deity and he defiled himself with it so you could have your soul back. Let's keep going. With one pure touch, Jesus restored the man's dignity. I mean, suddenly the words, the, the man, the word introduces himself with changes, right? No longer is he Mr. Unclean. Instead, he's, he's David or Randy or John or Bruce. Everything changes about him. And it makes me think of this simple fact. The beauty of following Jesus is that you get what you don't deserve. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I'm so glad the verse doesn't stop there, right? We all miss the mark. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, which means with one turn towards him, we're no longer unclean. Instead, we're saved and redeemed. We're clean. We're his, and our identity changes. Let's keep going. With one pure touch, Jesus restored the man's community. About a week and a half ago, Laurel and I had the opportunity to visit a a historical site. It's a modern-day leper colony. As recently as the 1930s, this island called Spinilonga off of the coast of Crete was an actual leper colony. It's a little island just off the coast. It's just far enough that you can't swim it. And they would take people with leprosy and put them on that island to die. As recently as 90 years ago. Now, here's what's amazing. They found out afterwards most of the people there didn't have leprosy at all. They were just victims of poor sanitation and hygiene back then. I did a lot of research into this little island. It's, Spinilonga means the island of tears. And it's where people were sent to finish their days and they were separated from their family. They were separated from the mainland. But one of the quotes that I read about Spinilonga said this, which kind of spun the idea of this modern day leper colony. They said, leprosy didn't kill them on the mainland, isolation did. While the island itself was a place of tears, together on that island, even lepers found community with each other. The lepers actually found some solace in the fact that there were other people that were like them. Actually, some of them got married. Some of them had children. Their children were taken away from them, which is absolutely heartbreaking. But they actually preferred the island because at least they had each other. Why do we care so much about small groups? Because we need each other. It's a team sport. We've got to do this 
together. One of the the beautiful truths that we learn from the island of tears is that isolation kills, but community protects. I was so touched by a story of, of one of the priests who stayed on the island five years after it was officially closed by the, by, by the Greek government. And he stayed there for five years to make sure that every human being that died on that island had a proper burial and funeral. You know why that touched me so much? Because our high priest, Jesus himself, buried himself in our sin condition so that we didn't just get to have a funeral, but we actually got to have eternal life. How beautiful is that? One last piece. With one pure touch, Jesus restored the man's hope. So every time Laurel and I take one of these crazy trips, (laughs) we're actually on a quest for hope. I told you four years ago, we were shown this abandoned building and, and, and all they had in Catania was a dream. Then two years ago, we got to go back and see it partially finished. We got to go with Bruce and Janice who are sitting in this uh, service right now, Jack and Michelle Johnson. And this time we came back and I, I tell you, we, we walked through the gates of this place and I was just like blown away. I mean, here's this beautiful building, completely modernized, filled with kids doing after school programs, talking about Jesus. There's a medical clinic, there's an apartment for visitors, there's, there, there's this, and then off in this back corner is a community garden. It's just beautiful. It's just growing like crazy. We walked in one morning and there were two young men sitting on a picnic table. I've actually got a picture of the two of them. There they are. They, they were just talking, having a conversation, and you can see the garden in the back. Let me tell you the story of how that garden came to be. Um, let me have the next picture. Uh, the young man on the left there, Can you show me the next one? There you go. Awesome. That's Clayton Sternberg. Bruce and Jan, there's Clayton. He said to say hi. That's pretty cool. Um, Clayton had a visitation from God years ago, and God said, I need you to move your family to Catania, Sicily, and you're going to plant a garden. And Clayton was just like, "Uh, two problems. Don't speak Italian. Don't know anything about farming. God said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it for you. And he did. I'm not sure I'd be that obedient picked up his whole family, moved them to Catania. And we ran into him a couple of years ago. He's just like, God told me to plant a garden. I'm just like, why would you want to plant a garden? He goes, well, it's interesting. God told me the story of the Bible starts in a garden. Jesus prayed in a garden. He was resurrected in a garden. And the whole story wraps up in a garden in Revelation 21. So I think we're supposed to do something with gardens. I'm going to plant a garden. I don't know anything about farming. I said, I know some people that do. Clayton actually came over. I think it was two summers ago and hang out with some of our people from the CTK food share and farm, and they taught him a bunch of different cool things that he didn't know, and, and he went back and planted a garden, and you can actually see in behind him, that, that's the garden. They teach agricultural classes there, they produce food, they give it away to refugees and immigrants. I mean, it's just the coolest place ever. And we walk in that morning, and here's these two guys sitting at the, sitting at, at the picnic table. And they're in a very deep, passionate conversation. So I just imposed myself into it and started to talk. Um, <laughs> the guy in the middle's name is Endicat, okay? Endicat is a refugee from Mauritius. He escaped his life and his, with his family from Mauritius because his life was, was pretty broken and he came looking for a better life. They thought they were going to Europe, but as often happens with refugees and immigrants, they get dropped off in Sicily not knowing that they're on an island because they're smuggled there on a ship and they find out there's no way off and they've got no options. Crime and prostitution is what is available to them. 
And so he comes looking for a better life. And then one day he's on his way to an English class and he meets this redheaded, tall American who's also on his way to English class. And they start talking and Clayton says to Andy Cat, hey, do you, you, know, you know anything about gardening? I have this farm. We kind of do this little thing and, and I teach agricultural classes. You should come. And Andy Cat's just like, that sounds great. And so he actually showed up. You need to know this. It's against the rules. White expatriate Americans are not supposed to befriend refugees and immigrants because in Europe there's an immigrant and refugee crisis. That's just not right. You know what I love about Clayton? He follows this guy named Jesus who just doesn't, doesn't do very good with those kinds of rules. They're not supposed to connect, but they build a friendship. Clayton introduces Endicat to Jesus. Let me tell you a few things about Endicat. He speaks four languages was invited to the garden. He comes to Jesus. He just got baptized. He was there at the picnic table studying the book of Romans that day. They started with something nice and light as part of their discipleship. <laughs> he's studying the book of Romans. And the reason that he's studying the book of Romans is because Endicat in his spare time likes to go out into the streets and preach to Muslim refugees about a man who showed up and changed his soul, changed his heart, changed his life, and touched him in the center of his being. Oh, by the way, this street preacher, he's 16. He's 16 years old and he's out in the downtown core of Catania preaching about Jesus. Just so you know, you all had a little part in that whole thing. Grazie. It's an amazing story of transformation. And it all started because a man named Jesus showed up and touched someone who was supposed to be untouchable. Church, let me talk to the believers in the room. What in the world are you going to do with that story this week? Would you be willing to risk your nice, tidy reputation in order to have and build a friendship with someone that society tells you is untouchable? Would you be willing to sit down and create a friendship, a real friendship, with someone who may not have a home like you do, or a neighbor down the hallway? that kind of looks at you funny every time you walk by? Here's a crazy thought. Would you be willing to sit down and share a meal with someone from another political party? Oh, God forbid. <laughs> Would you be willing to meet somebody where they're at? Would you be willing to remember that there was a time you were pretty messy? And if you don't think you are now, we need to talk. Are we going to hold everybody at arm's length and just go about our business like the rest of society does? Are we going to worship the idol of respectability? Are we going to be willing to break rules for the sake and the name of Jesus? So Christian, what are you going to do with this story? Well, I'm going to pray about that. Do that and then do something. For those of you in the room who may not know this Jesus who loves appropriate, appropriate and pure touch, I want you to know that, that he sees you. You're not invisible. Just like he saw Endicat, he sees you today. 
When I was at my most untouchable, God used Acts 3.19 to change my heart. It says, repent then, which simply means turn away from your old way of life and start walking towards Jesus. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I'm so glad that the verse doesn't end there. It says, so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I think we need a refreshing wave of worship at Christ the King Community Church. I think we need a refreshing wave of the Holy Spirit to move across all of us and break out, break God out of these little tiny convenient boxes that we put himself in. I think we need to brag about some miracle stories. I think we need to tell some stories about street preacher kids at the age of 16 who are not afraid to walk out into the street and proclaim the name of Jesus and put his life on the line. I think it's about time that we ask God to refresh us fully and completely. And maybe we need to start with the person right next door or the person on the street corner or the person that we've held at arm's length for way, 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 way too long. Because I read this story and I don't see Jesus avoiding anybody. So, let the church gathered become the church scattered this week. And every time we run into somebody who's just messy, may remember the words of Jesus, I'm willing, I'm willing, and I'm more than able. I can give you not only new skin, I can give you a new soul. Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, would you convict us and move us deeper into friendship? May we never ever forget where we've come from and may we never forget how far we have to go. God, may we not see people as inconveniences, but instead this week I pray that we would view them as divine interruptions. And God, may we have the heart of Jesus who is willing to pay so much more than just a surface cost, but was willing to pay it all, not only for a man with leprosy, but for the people of Whatcom County. God, I pray for anyone here in this room who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I pray right now that they would turn in faith to you, that they would pray a simple prayer that asks for forgiveness for their sin, in exchange for a new life and an eternity with you, God. And I pray that from this day forward, they would follow you passionately. God, as you exchange the name unclean for child of the most high God, may you do the miraculous work of salvation today in the hearts of those that are needing it. God, thank you for Clayton. Would you watch over he and Christina and their girls? God bless Andy Cat. Um, he's at the end of his Sunday today, and I'm not sure everything that he will have been up to, but I know he will have been about his father's business. Bless my brother in Christ. Use him in a powerful way. And God, would you use my brothers and sisters this week as we act like Jesus, our friend of sinners. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.